This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, our What Do You Mean series concludes with lead youth pastor Phil Johnson sharing a message entitled Code of Honor. Let's join Pastor Phil right now. Hey, we are getting ready to close out our series on honor. Our series has been, What Do You Mean? Looking at, talking about how do we show honor in a culture and a society that really uh, just, maybe we've, we've failed to, to do that in, in healthy ways moving forward. And so as we kick off here, we're looking at what does it look like to honor across multiple generations? What does it look like to honor those that are younger than me, those that are older than me, those that I'm doing life with, people that are the same age as me? What does honor look like? But even a better question, what does honor require of me? What would honor ask me to do? What would, what would Jesus do in these situations? And so our kind of overarching key here today is that if we generationally are gonna show honor to one another, we need to learn and grow as working as a team and not against each other in competition. We need to learn to work as a team multiple, through multiple generations and not just within competition. And I'll unpack that here uh, the next few moments that we're together. But first, uh, a little story that I feel like sets the table for this, literally. Uh, there were some friends of ours. They were getting ready to take some friends from out of state um, to a restaurant. And probably has, if you have visitors, family come from out of town, there is like a specific restaurant that you go, we have to go here. This just represents my state. This represents my city. There's no better tacos than this place. There's no better pizza in Minnesota than this place. And we all have that place. And our friends, they, they took their friends from out of town to their restaurant. They were talking it up. Oh, this food, it's to die for. It's amazing. And they get there and they put their orders in. And instantly, and when you get around family and friends, like conversation just starts going. You forget even where you're at. And they're having this conversation. The food comes comes out, and they just notice there's a few things that are missing, and I mean, they're so about community that they just go, look to the waiter, like, oh, excuse me, we're just, we're just missing a few things, and the waiter just kind of, fine, and they're like, oh, that's, that's interesting, that's not really Midwestern of him, he expressed his feelings off the bat, okay, <laughs> wow, and so the waiter goes back, and they just continue their conversation, they're laughing, and the waiter comes back and kind of like drops the plates on the table, they're like, oh. Okay, and they're going about and they're like, oh, hey, I just, sorry, we're still missing one thing. To which the waiter goes, ah, it's been my day. And they're kind of like, it's, you know, classic Midwesterns, is this our fault? Did, did, we, did we mess up here? Did we, did we order wrong? I, I don't know. Should we apologize for something here? And so at the end of the night, I mean, they're still laughing, they're having a good time, and the waiter comes out and he goes, hey, I just want to apologize for my kitchen. They were just horrible tonight. And starts throwing this unseen kitchen staff under the bus. And the people at the table are going, no, 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 we had a great night, like, the night was not an issue. And he goes, no, 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 I, seriously. The people in the back, they should be fired. They are the worst. I can't believe. And they're like, okay, okay. But what the waiter failed to realize in this moment is what a lot of us fail to realize every day, every week, that it wasn't just the service that of this unseen kitchen staff, but what the people at the table were judging was the entire experience. And the way that this waiter was throwing the kitchen staff under the bus I think some of us come into, or we struggle with doing that with other generations. I think we struggle with doing that with other teammates. 
Man, if this, this generation just knew what I went through, if this generation had a work ethic like I had, if they knew how to work a cell phone like I worked on, if they knew the wars that we were a part of, the knew the part of the things that we were building, but no, they don't know. I, I can't believe we're giving the world to this generation, or I can't believe this is what they're leaving me with. And like this waiter, we begin to subconsciously, unknowingly throw teammates under the bus. Now, there's two very real tensions that every one of us in here, whether you are a sixth grader in this room or you've been around a lot longer than a sixth grader in this room. And the first one is generational arrogance. It's the first tension that all of us are walking through in generational arrogance. What is generational arrogance? It is my generation is the best generation. And some of you are shaking your head. You're like, I just had this conversation this weekend. It's like, well, my generation, we were a part of this. And other generations, and like you just begin to almost compare, but unbeknownst to us, what begins to happen within this generational arrogance is there's a generational divide that begins to take place because there's a lack of listening and taking patience to understand where everyone is coming from. Another very real one that's happening in the workplace, education, government, business, the church, is generational work integration. This is the first time in human history we have five generations working together at such close proximity. So what's really cool, if you notice, there's a pretty interesting, like, just breakup generation-wise, and I think it's one of the many things I love about our church. Online community, if you didn't see it, we had, it was probably 25, 30% of just, like, for a few of them, and then, I mean, it was a pretty even breakdown. But it's, we are part of a multi-generational church here at Emmanuel. And what we get to be a part of is we get to be a part of helping navigate some of those tensions that our world is walking through. So we see the two biggest tensions right now of honoring other generations. It's generational arrogance and it's generational work integration. And so we see that if we're going to work through this, we have to be intentional about working as a team. Of what does it look like to understand, to stop and listen to people from other generations? Not just sit and wait to be sought after, but to seek out, to ask those questions. I meet with someone, he's a, he's a hero of mine. Uh, he's a few years older than me, just a few, right? But one of the things, I'll sit down for lunch with him, like, Rich, where do I go to I just get a good deal on Windows? Like, he just helps me adult well. But, but what has happened is, He's, he's brought about that trust me because he, he's really taken interest in my life. He goes, Phil, how are the boys doing? How are you doing? Are they sleeping through the night? I'm like, no. He goes, oh, it gets better. It gets better. And, but there was a trust that began to be built. He replicated and modeled listening and understanding. And I think it's a, it's a trait and a characteristic. A lot of us, we want to be sought out. We want to be heard. But it's really hard to stop and listen and to hear our fellow brothers and sisters. And we see Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 35. It's a great challenge. It's one that I think it applies to every one of us here in this room and online as well. John 13, 35, and it says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another, not the ones just in your bloodline, not just the ones that are easy to love, your love for those that don't come from your generation, that don't look like you, that don't have your story, they don't come from the same neighborhood as you. Your love for one another will prove, will be the example, will model to those that watch that you are followers of Jesus. And it's a challenge that all of us can take up daily. None of us here have arrived at that. I don't think anybody here is gonna be like, I'm good, I don't need to work at this. But it's an opportunity to honor and to point people back to Jesus. In our text that we're gonna be unpacking here Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 
through thir- or 25, 24 through 25, Hebrews chapter 10. As you guys are turning there, it's in the New Testament. Uh, the author, they've kind of gone back and forth. Who is the author of Hebrews? And a lot of people contribute it to Paul since he wrote most of the New Testament. They said, well, probably him. But regardless, the audience that Paul is writing to or the author is writing to, if you will, in the book of Hebrews, it's one that is at drift risk. And what they are at risk of drifting from is not just their faith, not just this belief in Jesus, but they are at risk from drifting away from biblical community from gathering with one another, from encouraging one another. They, the author saw that there was a legitimate risk, that there was doubts, there was dishonor, there was disrespect that was seeking to come and disconnect the body of Christ. And the author of Hebrews, as inspired through the Holy Spirit, begins to put these words onto paper that I believe are so true for today, are so good and so needed for today. So uh, Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 24 through 25, and they read it like this. Let us think of the ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his returning is drawing near. So that was um, an NLT version, one that I'd like to share from as well as the New King James Version, just because there's some verbiage in there that I would, I think, really help make this pop, if you will. Uh, New King James Version reads it like this. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but extorting or encouraging one another so much more as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. There are a few things in here that that I think help begin to set a, a course or provide a template for us of what does honor look like as I'm honoring those above me, those below me, those that I do life with, what does honor look like? What does honor require of me? And we look at this, and I would like to dub it a code of honor. Everybody say code of honor. And so it's already in the scripture, and there's some things that I just want to pull from the set. We can apply in our workplace, uh, people that we interact with, the family members that might be a little bit harder to honor because our political views are so different, but a code of honor that we can all apply to our daily lives that I think will begin to honor people the way that Jesus meant them to be honored. Now, a code of honor, what it is, it's a, it's a code helped to cover the internal behavior of a family, a team, or organization. It helps begin to uh, set a course of rules that are like, hey, here's how we behave with one another. Here's how we talk to one another. Here's how we respect one another, how we listen to one another. So it begins to put down like ground rules, if you will. You know, sometimes there are people that will just roll out like a soccer ball and they say, play soccer. But what a code of honor is, it's like, here's out of bounds. Here's the goal. Here's the rules. Here's, this is how we play. Go ahead and play. And this is what a code of honor does. It begins to go, hey, here's out of bounds. Here's the expectations for uh, just kind of respecting one another. And this is what we pull from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25. And the first one that we have in, which I think is, it's a good challenging one to start a code of honor list with. First one is consider one another. Consider one another. We see that in verse 24. It says, and let us consider one another. Now, I think this is a tension for us because our natural human instinct is self-preservation. How can I make sure I'm good? Uh, for those of us that have had trust issues, it's like, how do I develop these like outer walls so I don't really have to let people know what's going on? And so we're, like, we're instantly thinking about me, of how in my conversations am I protecting myself? How can I make sure I'm comfortable in whatever I'm stepping into? And it's, some of us it's intentional, some of us it's unintentional, but one of, part of our natural reaction is to consider ourselves. But what we're seeing in scripture, it's how do we consider 
the needs of others? How do we consider what they are going through? And so one of the questions that you would have to ask yourself is what does consideration look like for me? Or better yet, ask someone who is close to you, a family member, a friend, and go, hey, how do you know that I've considered you? How do you know that, like when I walk into a room, how, how can you tell that I thought of you before you even came into this room? Like when you're hosting, like th- that question goes, how can I let people know who are guests in my home know that I thought about them before they even walked into my house? How can I let my coworkers know that even for, we know this is gonna be a two hour long meeting, but how do I let them know that before they walk into that meeting room that they go, oh, they were thinking about me. Like what does, how does someone know that you have considered them? And to begin to ask, because consideration is gonna look different for each and every person, but to begin to ask that now, if you have some honest friends, be careful. My wife, I love her, but if I want like honest truth, I'm scared to ask her if I wanna live in some alternate reality, I just won't ask her, because I know she, God's gonna speak through her, and she's gonna tell me what I need to hear, and maybe not what I want to hear, but what I need to hear. And so, but I would, I would challenge you that when you're ready, say, okay, because you might get some honest truth. And one of the things I can encourage you with that we, a place we can all start is empathy. How do we show others that we consider them? Empathy. Now, a lot of us are good with empathy publicly. Like, we are really good. If something happens, we'll tweet about it, we'll post about it, and we almost make you feel like, hey, I got you. But what we fail to really be good at, it's the personal empathy. It's the, I see you, I hear you, I feel your pain. I might not know your story, but I feel your pain. You see, there's a difference in empathy when we look at that and looking at empathy of like we're good publicly, but we haven't really grown personally with the empathy. And empathy, one of the definitions I love is empathy requires you to feel someone's feelings. It requires you to feel their experiences. It requires you to feel their emotions. What empathy is not is it does not require you to have lived their life But what empathy requires of you is to listen to their story, to listen to where they come from. And that's one of the steps, and when you wanna consider others, an opportunity for us to grow is how we show empathy to one another. Our second one we pull out of scripture here is stir up one another. And so verse 24 says, stir up one another in love and in good works. Stir up one another in love and good works. Hebrews 10, 24, yes, stir up, love one another in good works. There was a story a young man, he'd been burned badly, and he was gonna miss some school, but his parents and the education system wanted to make sure that he was keeping up to date with all his work, and as he was in the hospital, they were sending different teachers there, and just nobody was able to get through the door. Like, they were looking at the condition of this young man, and they were just so put off by his condition. They're like, I, I, I can't do this, and finally, a teacher goes in there, and she walks in, and there was still a smell in the room. There was still a sight of this boy had been burned so badly, but she sat down, She goes, all right, they sent me here, and we're gonna learn some math. We're gonna walk through some of the assignments. And I can imagine this boy's like, dude, I just got burned, and now I have to do math? Like, this is a double burn right now. Like, this is a tough situation to walk through. And so they're going through it, and the teacher walks out, she goes, I'm not even making a difference. I'm not, and she comes back the next day, just down, because she goes, I just, why am I doing this? And she sees a nurse, and the nurse runs up to her, big smile, she goes, I love that you're here. She goes, why? She goes, this boy, he, he's talking, he's up, he's smiling. This goes, why? Like, what did I do? I, I, I just said, I don't know. You gotta you got go in there. You just gotta go in. You got to him. You got, you got through him. And she walks in, and the boy's smiling. He's ready to go. And she's, what oh, changed? And he said, they wouldn't send a teacher to teach a dying boy. 
So I guess I still had some stuff left in me. And see, it's a great opportunity because there's people that all of us come into contact with that their dreams are dying. The things that God has placed inside of them, they've lost that. And what God has placed each and every one of us in, in our workplaces, in our school settings, in our jobs, in our offices, is that there is something that God wants you to stir up in someone next to you. And the funny way that God works is it's usually somebody you would never talk to. It's usually somebody you're like, all right, there's two open seats at a table, I'm not sitting at that table. But usually those are the people that God, and through the Holy Spirit, begins to serve and say, hey, I want you to go sit next to them. I want you to go remind them of what I've placed inside of them. Because so many times people are walking around with this image of what I've done as my image, of what I do as my image, but God is wanting to remind them, stir something up greater inside of them, said, no, 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 this is who you are. It's bigger than your job, it's bigger than this. And I believe God wants to begin to use people from all generations to remind other individuals of what he's placed inside of them. To remind them of dreams that he's placed long ago, back in childhoods. And that's one of the great things I get to do as a youth pastor. I get to see students discover these dreams God's given, discover this purpose, but what we need is multiple generations continuing to stir that up. Because it's so easy to succumb to the negativity that we can see projected. And as we see, as part of our code of honor, God is asking, can we be a multiple generations that stir one another up for love and good works? So our first two in our code of honor, consider one another, stir up one another. Our third one is gather with one another. Verse 25 in Hebrews 10, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together or gathering with one another. Matthew 18, 20 says, for where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there with them. Now, this is a, a very big reality that a lot of us face. I mean, right, let's be honest. In Minnesota, it's nice maybe a month of the year, right? Like my son the other day had a shovel out like trying to pick up dirt. I'm like, son, like I know you have this winter mindset, but it's gone. Like put the shovel down. And he looked at me and I, I got a little scared because he had this look of like, no, it's not. It's coming again sooner than you think. And I'm like, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Oh. But there's this, this reality that we have, like, okay, hey, it's nice for like a month, we're gonna head up to the cabin for a weekend. You know, I'm pretty good, I read my Bible a couple times, like, I, I'm pretty sure, I, I think I know what pastors are gonna talk about this Sunday, I, I'll just miss church. Or there's plays, there's dramas, there's sports, there's family gets, there's all these different things, and it's so easy to fall into the habit of, I'll just, I'll, I'll just miss next week. I'll just miss this week. Oh, I don't need to go to my connect group. I don't need to, to be a part of it. But can I tell you what I have learned, and this is not just um, uh, growing up in a Christian house, but even just seeing uh, friends that have come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as they get plugged into uh, smaller groups and connect groups and come to church, there is something that's special that happens in the house of God. There is something truly special that happens in a place like this that so many times we just resort it to just four walls in a building, but there is something so powerful and encouraging that happens when a body of believers comes together to worship and pursue God. There's something that's so encouraging in that. Even in the connect group, what I love about even smaller groups, and Pastor Andrew Mason, he's our connect group, he's like the, the sensei of connect groups and smaller communities. But one of the things that I love about is uh, my wife and I have benefited from it of it's a safe place to have tough conversations. And that's something that if we neglect that, what we begin to do unintentionally is we disconnect ourselves from community. And all of a sudden we're this boat that's just out in the middle of the ocean by ourselves. But there is something that when we know that we're connected to other people, that we're not perfect, 
But there's an ability to ask those questions, to go through like, hey, am I the only one right now that whose four-year-old just seems to be sassy as all get out? And then to have other parents in a small group go, nope, nope, this is what happened. Like, there's encouraging part to meet with people from other generations and go like, hey, it's tough now, but it's going to get easier. There's something so special about gathering together. And that is one of those things that is part of our code of honor. Let's not miss that. Let's not, let's not lose out on that because there's growth, there's purpose, there's fun that takes place in that growing together. So our first three points we have a part of our code of honor. Consider one another, stir up one another, gather with one another. And our last one here, encourage one another. To encourage one another. Well, Pastor Phil, what if I don't think they're doing a good job? <laughs> what if I think that my generation did a better job? What if I thought if they just let me have all the responsibility that I think I deserve, that th this would actually be better? Why would I encourage them if I think I could do their job better? or that I can do that better than they can. Verse 25 in Hebrews says, but encourage one another. Here's what I know to be true of, whether you're in sports, whether you're a theater, there's something powerful playing in front of a home crowd. There's something about when you walk out to uh, a soccer field, a soccer pitch, a basketball court, a theater stage, and you see your people there. As annoying as those big signs and flowers might be, some of you that have come from those households, you're like, okay, just mom, please don't scream every time I'm on the platform. Just, just let it be discreet a little bit. <laughs> There's something, though, to know that someone is in your corner. You know, and I think part of the opportunity we have as a body of, of believers, for those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, is to model what does it mean to follow Jesus, but what does it mean to be fans of people, to encourage them? Because here's what I know to be true in this room. It doesn't matter where you are sitting, where you're at in life, there isn't one person in here that would say, I don't need encouragement. <laughs> and if you would say that, well, you're probably lying to yourself. <laughs> There's not one person in here watching online that would say, I'm good. Encouragement is one of those things that we have the opportunity to give to people. It's one of the greatest moments of uh, within our code of honor. Here's a, a quote that I heard from a pastor. It says, encouragement doesn't negate weariness, but it resolves, or it helps us resolve to press beyond weariness. That what encouragement does for people, for humans, that every one of us will find ourselves in a valley season, a season where it just feels like nobody's there. We don't know which way is up. But there's something that we could all go back to that when someone encourages us, that begins to use some of this code of honor that says, I see where you're at. I feel your pain, that's hard. But hey, here's what I see in you. And here's what I know what God has for you. So it might not mean a lot, you might get mad at me for saying, but here, I just wanna encourage you. Can I tell you, it's in those moments that that's fuel to press on. There's life there. And everyone, everyone needs a little encouragement. Everyone deserves a little encouragement. I'll close with this story, and uh, it was one of those stories that I know all of us have kind of found at one point, it almost feels like too good to be true, and you're like, let me do some back, like some back checking on this one, it's from NASA, so I'm, they got their stuff together, so I'm pretty sure we're good, right? So one of their astronauts, their lead astronauts, the story was of Chris Hadfield, he was an astronaut, uh, in, in 2012, he was to lead a five-month trip and a five month are with a three member team. There's already a team up in the International Space Station, but he was gonna be, him and two other members were gonna be heading up uh, for a five month mission, approximately about 166 days. Now he was from Canada. One of his teammates was from the United States and another one was from Russia. 
and everyone was from a different generation. And so what Chris, being the captain of this flight or this team, what he decided to do was, you know what, I'm gonna go move to the United States for a little bit. I'm gonna move to Russia. What he began to do was, he moved by his teammates and he would go out, he set up dinners and he met their family and he learned their lingo. He learned where they came from, their story. He learned Russian when he moved over to Russia and he's living out of hotels and apartments and he would set up these team dynamic exercises of what happens if one of us loses a loved one up in space? How, how do you want, how do you process grief? What do you need from us as a team member? And they begin to work through all this and, and, and other people are like, why are you focusing on that? Like that's not, has nothing to do with space. Has nothing to do with all this, all these different things you're doing. And he goes, no, 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 this is gonna make the biggest difference. And so for the next uh, several months as they're leading up to the trip, they're doing all these meetings, dinner, stories, encouragement. And they get up there and for the next five months, uh, this man, Chris, he was one of the uh, pioneers of like astronauts just like tweeting and posting photos of like, here's what we're doing on the space station today. Here's some of the experiments. And so he was engaging in a conversation back on Earth. And so one of the things that people notice is they're like, do y'all ever fight? Like, I mean, you're up there for five months together. There's a lot of differences there. And each time he's like, no, we're good, we're good. And so after five months, they land. And by many, it was dubbed the most successful international space trip ever by any team with Chris's team. And so he begins to go on this tour with a talk show host and they're asking him about the pictures he was posting. But there was one of the shows goes, okay, so what's the secret? Like my kids, they're in a room for five minutes together and they're at each other's throats. You're next to people for five months and you mean to tell me you don't fight one time? He goes, nope. You didn't have one disagreement. Like your guys' pol like, po like politics are probably way across the map. You didn't have one disagreement. We didn't fight one time. And he goes, what was the secret? How did you do it? And Chris begins to tell the story. He goes, well, one of the things I required of my team to show honor to one another was each day over the five month course, my team had to do one unsolicited act of kindness for another team member. So for our team, that was two unsolicited acts of kindness for a team member a day. So if they had dish duty, go and do the dishes without being asked and don't tell them that you did it. Just do it. Don't get any credit any notoriety, just go do it. One unsolicited act of kindness per day. And they said, that's the trick? And he goes, what that did, that communicated honor, communicated value. It was honor in the little things. And I believe that's something that's, that we could all do here today. That's something that we can take on Monday and Tuesday of what would it look like in your workplace if you did one unsolicited act of kindness a day? that you didn't have to be mentioned on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, that you didn't have to have a party thrown for you, you didn't even have to get the, the credit, but that if you were to do one unsolicited act of kindness, not for someone that would return the favor, but someone that you really don't even talk to, what would that look like? How would that communicate? As we close here today, I think, you know, the greatest example of this is Jesus and what God did for us. Because if you think about it, in our sin, how dishonoring our sin was to God, God, our creator, who just gave us everything we needed and here we are throwing it away with our sin. How dishonoring would that be to God to see his creation doing that? But yet in our dishonor, in the sin that we had that was dishonoring to him, he honored us by choosing to send his son to die for us. As is spoken of in Romans, that even while we were at our worst, Jesus gave his best. And even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. 
Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.